Hey, if you would join me in John chapter 8, that's going to be our passage of scripture uh, for this morning. John chapter 8, we'll read from there in just a little bit. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you have ever built a piece of furniture? All right, and when I say build a piece of furniture, I don't mean you went and you cut down a tree and that you made timber out of it. I mean like you just bought a box from the store or from the internet and then you assembled that box and those pieces. Uh, most likely you had instructions to follow when you assembled that cabinet or that bed or whatever it was. And hopefully, in your case, those instructions were well-written and easy to follow, and the illustrations made sense. But probably every one of us has had the experience where you're building some piece of furniture, or you're building some toy for your kids, and the instructions make no sense at all. Uh, a couple months ago, Pastor Eric and I were at a conference, and we sat down at one of the meals, and the guy there, he was, we were talking to him, he was retired, and I asked him what he did, and he told me that he wrote technical manuals and instructions for companies, and I wanted to be like, you're the guy, you're the guy that I have like muttered about under my breath so many times, like if I could just get my hands around the neck of the person who wrote these instructions, right? I didn't say that, he was an old, retired man, I was kind, um, changed the subject, talked about fishing. Um, in those scenarios, the, at least, even if the instructions are poorly written, and you don't understand all of the materials that are there in the box, at least you have an idea, I'm trying to build a cabinet. I'm trying to build a bed frame. And you've got a picture of what the basic idea or premise is of what you're trying to produce. But imagine for a moment that I give you some tools, and I give you some materials, some screws, and some bolts, and nuts, and some wood, and I say, listen, here is all of the material that I need you to build a kotatsu. I just need you to build it. I don't have any instructions. I don't have a picture, but I need you to build a kotatsu, and you go, I don't even know what that is. And I'd say, oh, well, no problem. It's kind of like a Spanish braserio or Iranian corsi. And you'd be like, that's not helping me at all. I'm not picturing what any of this is. Well, a katatsu is a low table that is covered with a blanket and it has a built-in heat source. It's pretty popular in Japan and used to be they would have like a fire burning or charcoal. Now it's typically electric. And so just picture a low table that has a built-in heat source, right? Now you've got a little bit of a picture in your mind of what it is. At Faith Church, we're working to build the church our friends and neighbors will join and that our children will lead. And we do that not by constructing timber and bricks and mortar. We do that by building a people because a church is a people, not a building. And the way we build people is we make disciples. Now, if you hear that word and you have no idea what a disciple is, that doesn't help you. It's just like me telling you that you need to build or make a katsatsu. What is even that? So what I want to do over the next couple of Sundays is I want to make it really clear what is a disciple. I want to clarify when we say that Faith Church is here to make disciples that make disciples, that you have a picture in your mind of what we're talking about. It might be that when I say the word disciple, you have no concept, or it might be that you think, oh, those are the 12 guys that followed Jesus around. They were the first disciples, but not the only disciples. They were the first of many disciples. 
And if you're here in church this morning, you are surrounded by disciples, people who are following Jesus. And we would say, and I'm borrowing this definition from Michael Ferris, who's the pastor of Herod Church in Oklahoma, and they're very strong on discipleship, and I appreciate uh, just some, some time I got to spend with him recently. But I'm borrowing this language from him. We would say that a disciple is someone who abides in Jesus' words, walks in Jesus' ways, and does Jesus' works. So a disciple of Jesus Christ abides in his words, walks in his ways, and does his works. And this morning, we're going to focus on what it means to abide in his words. So if you found your way to John chapter 8, read along with me. We're going to start reading in verse 28 of John chapter 8. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, and the Son of Man is himself, he's speaking of himself, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And there's this moment, John tells us, that as Jesus is saying these words, light bulbs are coming on for people. That as Jesus is speaking these words, there are people that are starting to lean in. They're starting to believe. Verse 30 says, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed. Now there's a crowd and some people in the crowd started to believe. And Jesus is speaking specifically to those people who believed. And he says this. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus is teaching, and there's this moment where people believe in him. They're leaning forward. And Jesus says that if you abide in my words, you are my disciples indeed. And I want you to notice here that Jesus doesn't say to these people who have believed, if you abide in my words, you will become my disciples indeed. There aren't these two stages. Okay? And hear me. All right? If you've attended church all your life, or grandma was a Christian, and you feel like you know all this stuff and you don't need to tune in, you really need to tune in in this moment. Okay? Jesus doesn't say, if you, if you abide in my words, you will become a disciple. He said, you are a disciple indeed. Jesus doesn't make a distinction between being a Christian and being a disciple. They are one and the same. And so if what Jesus is saying here is, if you abide in my words, you are indeed, you are truly, you are actually a disciple. When we read the Gospels, there are several points in Jesus' teaching where he refers to legitimate and illegitimate followers or disciples. He, speak of, he speaks of seeds that are sown in the soil. And some of those seeds, they sprout, but there's no root to them because they're in shallow soil or they're in rocky soil. And the sun quenches them and they die and they never bear fruit. He speaks of seeds that are sown and they start to sprout and they put up 
put down roots, but then thorns and weeds choke them out. And Jesus says that's the cares of this world and this life, distracting them, robbing them of that relationship, of that gospel. Jesus also tells a story about a man who plants his crops, and then that man has an enemy. And that enemy who wants to make his life difficult comes and he intentionally sows weeds in the field. And the farmer's helpers come to him and they say, Master, someone has sown weeds in your field. Do you want us to pluck it all up? And he said, no, because at this stage, the weed and the crop look so similar. It's almost impossible to tell them apart. We will wait until the crop produces fruit. And when the crop produces fruit, then we will know what is the crop and what is weed. And then you will pluck the weed and you will throw them in the fire. What Jesus shows us again and again is that it's possible for people to take on the identity of a Christian or a believer or maybe even call themselves a disciple and they are not indeed a disciple. They are not actually a disciple. And what we see typically shows us the difference between an indeed disciple and an inauthentic disciple, a legitimate follower of Jesus and an illegitimate follower of Jesus. Usually what shows it is time and adversity. Time and adversity. Now let me be careful here because if you're here and you're a believer, you might be tempted to think, oh man, if I don't do things right, I'm not a real Christian. I got to make sure I do all the right things. I got to make sure that I, I, I do everything just right. I got to keep all the rules. I got to really put on my, my Christian best. And that's backwards. Don't be tempted to think you need to do all the right things to be a Christian. A relationship with God produces godliness. Godliness does not produce a relationship with God. A relationship with God produces godliness. Godliness does not produce a relationship with God. What that means is you can't do all the right things to earn your way into relationship with God. But because God has welcomed you into relationship, these things will begin to happen in your life. You cannot brute force your way into being a Christian. You can't force yourself to abide in the words of Jesus. You can't make yourself into a Christian. Some of you know this because you've tried to change yourself. You've tried to change attributes about your life. You've tried to make changes in who you are, and you've failed. You can't make the changes. Only God and His Spirit empowering you can. You must experience the grace and forgiveness that God offers and be made new, and these will be the results of that. For the last three years, we've experienced a lot of that time and hardship. And what it's done is it's peeled back layers and has revealed what's true, revealed what matters. Right now, lots of people are going through shifts in their life. They're changing careers. They're changing location because the adversity of these last several years made them recognize, you know what, the things I thought mattered to me don't really matter to me. The things I thought were important weren't really important to me. They're just important to other people. And I've had opportunity to recognize what really matters. 
What I hope is that this morning, what you recognize really matters in your heart and life is Jesus. That that is at your core. But what if we don't have to wait and see? What if we don't have to hold out for the next crisis in our lives to figure out if it's real? What Jesus gives us here is one of the indicators of if we are actual disciples. What a disciple indeed looks like. What a disciple indeed looks like is abiding in his word. Jesus said, if you abide in my word. And he doesn't say words. He's singular. He doesn't use the plural because he's not referring to his sentences that he said in this moment. He's not referring to the teachings that he's given over the last few weeks. He's talking about his message of who he is, the whole package, the holistic gospel that Jesus has shared and that he has exemplified in his very person. Who he is. If you were to walk away today and say, Pastor Daniel had a decent sermon, right? You're talking about what's happening in this moment, right? It'd be a completely different thing to say, I think Pastor Daniel is a good preacher, right? Because there, there's, this is not just a one Sunday thing, right? Jesus isn't just saying, I want you to hear these words. He's wanting, I want you to hear my word. I want you to hear my message. I want you to hear my gospel. What I am proclaiming. And this extends to what he communicates in his words and what he says. But it's more than that. In verse 20, he says, 28, he says, when you lift up the son of man, that's me, that's Jesus. He's speaking of himself. Then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father taught me, I speak these things. He's telling them once again, he's God. That he's not just a good man or a good teacher, but he and the Father are one. That he is God in the flesh. He is God come down to live among us. And listen, if you accept that part of his message, that he is the Son of God, that changes everything. You can't just say, you know what, I like some of Jesus' teachings. You can't pick and choose the parts that you like. Jesus didn't say, listen, if you accept or you abide in most of my words. He said, if you abide in my word. And his word is that he is the son of God, the Messiah. That he does nothing of himself, but as the God, the father has sent him. And when we abide in this message, when we abide in this gospel, he says two things will happen. When we abide in this, he tells us. That we will know the truth and that the truth will set us free. We will know the truth and the truth will set us free. The result of abiding in his words is that we know his words and they have an impact on us. Listen, there are a lot of people that say they are a Christian, but they do not know the words of Jesus. And if we are abiding in his words, part of that is coming to know them. Part of that is being familiar with them. You know, in, in life, I I'm sometimes am surprised to find out that someone's married because I've never seen them with their spouse. 
They don't live with their spouse. They don't talk with their spouse. And the only reason that they're married is that they just haven't signed any paperwork to dissolve that marriage. It has been dissolved in every other way. They are estranged. They live in completely different locations. Their life does not overlap at all. That marriage is meaningless. It's just a piece of paper. It's just a contract. It has no real meaning and bearing on their life. And I'm afraid that many people call themselves a Christian in the same way. Listen, you're not a Christian just because you identify as one or you call yourself one. You're not a Christian because your grandma was. You're not a Christian because you went to church when you were a child. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, being a disciple should mean that you are in relationship with him. That you know his words. Some of you, you claim to be a Christian. You haven't had a conversation with Jesus in your life. You don't know his words. He doesn't know you. And what the Bible tells us is that there will be a day where all will stand before him. And some will say, Jesus, I did all of these things in your name. And I claim to be a Christian. And he says, depart from me. I do not know you. I never knew you. You will know the truth. This is important. And we focus a lot on knowing the words because it's important. And we should because it's important. Because you can't apply what you don't know. You can't build what you've never seen or been told about. That's the reason that Romans says, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? If you haven't heard, you can't believe. If you don't know, you can't act. So knowing is important. But like they always said at the end of every episode of the G.I. Joe cartoon, knowing is half the battle. It's not the whole battle. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, you can know the truth without abiding in it, without relishing it, without bathing in it. You can know the truth without owning it. Listen, I know that you can attend Bible college and seminary and know it without getting it. You can know the truth without it setting you free. My greatest fear for the children that are down that hall is that they would come to know the stories of the Bible but not know the God of the Bible. Greatest fear for my children is that they would know about the things of church but not know the person that this is all about. A disciple knows the truth and walks in freedom because the truth has set them free. Now, this doesn't mean that a disciple is perfect. These disciples that Jesus is talking to weren't perfect. The disciples that they handed it down to and they handed it down to and handed it down to for the last 2,000 years, none of them have been perfect. But those who abided in his words, they experienced greater and greater freedom as a result of those words. They are not in bondage to sin. Do they sin? Yes. Do they fail? Yes. But they are not in bondage to that sin. Now remember, this is the result of abiding in the Word. Not just the result of knowing the Word, but abiding it. It's plunging into this truth. It's soaking it in. 
This word to abide, it means to continue or to tarry. The old timers would call this waiting on the Lord. Tarrying with God. It's not just reading it. I got my Bible reading in for the day. It's allowing it to read you and make a difference in you. It's, it's mulling it over. It's contemplating it. It's discussing it with your fellow disciples. If godliness is the result of a relationship with God, then we must be with Him. Abide with Him. Now, if you're here and you're a believer and you're struggling to abide with the Lord, let me just give you a few practical tips. Because I think if some of us were honest, we would say, I know I ought to read the Bible, I just don't like to read the Bible. I know I should pray, I just don't like to pray. The first thing you should do is you should pray the prayer of Psalm 119, verse 36. Where the psalmist says, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies, and not to covetousness. That means God... Lean my heart toward your word. You know what that is? That's a prayer asking God to help you love his truth. That's a prayer asking God to help you love his words. Uh, this past week, Amy shared uh, the testimony video that we made a few years ago. Um, and in that testimony, she talks about how God rescued her from her addiction, and that she prayed that God would take away the desire, and praise God, He did. Thank the Lord. If God can take away desires, He can give desires. The psalmist says, Incline my heart, give me a thirst for your word. Help me to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know, I earlier I mentioned that Japanese table and None of you did. You couldn't picture it in your mind because you never heard of that before. Right? Some of you, you have absolutely no craving for sushi because you never had it before. Some of you have no craving because you had it. Right? <laughs> but those of you that you've had, you've had good sushi, you crave it, you want it. Those of you that you've tasted good chocolate, you want it, you crave it. But you'd never crave it if you'd never had it. Some of you, you have this super specific flavor of soda that you love that soda. You love the Dr. Pepper, vanilla, cherry, whatever, right? If you'd never had that, you'd never be like, I got to have the cherry vanilla one. I go to the gas station now. I don't understand what's, what's in the cases anymore. It's all energy drinks, 27 different flavors of Red Bull and Bang Energy. I don't crave any of that because I've never had the first one. Some of you, you don't crave God's word because you've, you've never tasted it. Some of you, you, you enjoyed God's word when you first became a Christian. It was something that you delighted in, but you went through this period of time where things were dry and it was difficult or you faced some adversity and you lost that taste for God's word and you became hungry for other things, for distractions. 
Now your mouth, your heart, your stomach is full of other things. Ask God to give you that delight, that thirst, that taste for God's word. If he can take away a sinful desire, he can provide a healthy one. Ask God to incline your heart. Secondly, get a Bible you can understand. I think the number one reason people struggling with read the Bible is because they don't understand what they're reading. Do you guys remember? I know some of you are too young. Do you remember what it was like to talk on a cell phone 20 years ago? It was horrible. There's a reason that one of the most popular commercials is a guy walking around saying, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Because people couldn't hear you and you couldn't hear them. You'd hear every other word. Calls got dropped all the time. I didn't like talking on the phone because you couldn't really talk to anybody on the phone. You can't understand what the person is saying. Just recently, we're at home, we're watching TV, we're flipping through channels, there's a movie that Lincoln wants to watch. I stop for a second, about 30 seconds in, we realize, oh, this is the Spanish channel. We can't understand anything that's happening. We didn't keep watching it, because we couldn't understand it. If you don't understand what you're reading, you're going to have a hard time enjoying it or benefiting from it. Some of you think that you have to read the Bible in a language that we haven't spoken in 500 years. Or that it's really more powerful if it sounds really old. What's powerful is the truth. And when the truth is applied to your heart and life. Listen, if... If there's a verse of scripture that I'm working on, if I'm going to preach from a passage of scripture, one of the things that I do is that I read it in multiple translations. And I, I study the original languages because I went to school to do that. Obviously, that's not going to be your form of study. That's not something that you have gone to training for. But you have all of these translations and versions at your disposal where you can read. I use the New King James Version here in our services, but I have an ESV journaling Bible that I really like. I use the NASB study Bible, a Ryrie study Bible years ago that I really enjoyed. Right now, I'm really, really, really liking the New Living Translation. Find a passage, read it in a couple different versions. Or the one where you can understand what is being said. Go and get you a Bible in that version. And by the way, while we're talking about getting Bibles, it is so incredibly convenient to have the entire Bible on my phone in multiple versions. There are so many times that I just, I've been thinking of a verse and I can just look it up in my phone. It is so convenient. It's a great tool. I'm glad that you have it. But let me encourage you. If, if you're reading the Bible on your phone right now, I'm glad that you're reading your Bible. All right? Let me encourage you that when it comes time to do your personal devotions and your personal time with God, when it comes time to come to church and, and listen to a sermon, don't use your phone. Because some of you are really addicted to Candy Crush. And man, Psalm 23 is good, but that notification came up and you got another level to hit. Right? Or man, I'm really enjoying John 3, but what did my sister just text me now? Right? Some of you have been sitting in church, Pastor Daniel's preaching the best sermon of his life, but that doesn't compare to the Facebook notification that you just got. Somebody tagged you in a photo and it better not look horrible. And even if you don't check that notification, even if you don't go beat that Candy Crush level, what happens in your brain is anxiety begins to form because you start to wonder, what if it's, what if it's this? 
and you create a scenario. And even if, you, even if you're disciplined enough not to look at that thing, it distracts you from what you're reading. So in your personal devotions, and when we gather around God's Word together in community, let me encourage you, have a Bible. Let's go old school. And let, let's carry some analog Bibles around. One, ask God to incline your heart. Two, get a Bible that you can understand. Three, ask yourself an honest why question. Paul Pastor wrote an article about how if we're struggling to read God's Word, we don't enjoy it, we probably should just ask ourselves honestly why. Honestly. And don't give some church answer. Right? Don't, don't give some spiritual answer. I feel like God's taking me on this journey. And like, no, just be honest. Why don't you like reading the Bible? Because you find it boring? Because you're convicted? Because there's sin in your life that has separated you from what the Spirit is trying to say to you? Because you don't understand it? Because you made the mistake of trying to read the Bible from front to cover and you got to Leviticus and you got no idea what's going on? <laughs> Ask yourself the honest question, why don't I... Enjoy reading the Bible. Be honest with yourself. I think the Spirit might reveal something to you there. If you don't understand it, be honest about it. If you want to read the Bible and you just you have a hard time because you don't know what it is you're reading, you are surrounded by a community of people that would love to help you read the Bible. We would love to help you read the Bible. And then fourth. So first... Ask God to incline your heart to get a Bible that you can understand. Three, ask an honest why. And then fourth, win the day. Start the day with God's Word. I'm not saying that the only time that you can read the Bible is in the morning. I'm not saying that if you read the Bible at 5 p.m. that you're less spiritual than people who read it at 5 a.m. But here's what I know happens. You wake up intending to do a thing. And then the day takes over and you never do that thing. And I'm not just talking about reading the Bible. I'm talking about folding that laundry or going to the gym or whatever it might be, right? That thing just gets pushed back. But if you'll make it the first thing. And we use the language of winning the day here because we know that how you start your day will shape your day. And if you start your day with Fox News or CNN, that will shape the way that you view the rest of the day. If you start your day with gossip news sites online, that will shape the rest of your day. If you start your day with Facebook or TikTok, that will shape how you spend the rest of your day. If you will start the day in God's Word, that will shape how you spend the rest of the day. Win the day. Start there. You know, at the beginning of the message, I explained that a Katatsu is a small table with a built-in heater and blanket. And some of you have already forgotten about that. Mostly the men, you have, do not care about that. But some of you women are like, I could use that at the office. It has a built-in heater and a blanket. That would be so warm. Now that you have a, a, an idea, that's one thing. But it, it would be even better if you could see a picture. I've talked to you about disciples are people who abide in his words. 
And I've explained that to you for the last several minutes. And I'm going to talk to you next Sunday about the fact that disciples are people who walk in his ways. And the Sunday after that, we're going to talk about disciples are people who do his works. And those explanations and definitions, I think, will be helpful. But none of them will be as helpful as being able to see a picture. And the picture that we are given is Jesus. The word disciple literally means a follower or learner. And when people would pronounce a blessing over a disciple, they would say, may you be covered with the dust of your teacher, which means may you follow them so closely that the dust that they kick up as they walk on the path covers you because you are there with them doing life watching every move that they make. And what Jesus did when he came and lived among us is he gave us the opportunity to see him in action and to see his life. In fact, when John would first introduce us to him, he would tell us that in the beginning was the word. And the word was God and the word was with God. He tells us that Jesus himself is the communication of who God is to us. Jesus is that picture. And when Jesus came, he came to live a life before us and die a death for us and raise again from the dead. And in that he gave us an example to follow. And ever since then, anyone who's tried to make disciples has always said, follow me as I follow Jesus. Anything in me that looks like Jesus, emulate that. Anything in me that does not look like Jesus, forget that. Because Jesus is the picture. He's the example. He's the word. And what Jesus did through his life, death, and resurrection is he opened the door to welcome us into life with him. This passage says, abide in my word. See, the problem is, is that we don't abide with Jesus. We just check in with him every once in a while. Matt Chandler said the problem is, is that we treat Jesus like a hotel when we're supposed to make him our home. He's who we come to when it is convenient and we need a place to stay. It's who we come to when we find ourselves without anywhere else to go, and so we check in with him. But what Jesus has invited us to do is to come and stay and to abide. He came to be among us and made himself at home with us so that we could be at home with him. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that there would be some who recognize there is this disconnect between how they identify themselves and who they are in reality. Or that what you spoke of, of being a disciple indeed, does not characterize them. And what I pray that your spirit would bring conviction. Lord, I ask you to be with the one who this morning is honest and upfront about the fact that they, that they struggle because they, they struggle to understand what they read. They struggle to enjoy reading God's word and spending time with you. And Lord, may that honesty lead to embracing your help, calling out to you to give them a thirst and hunger 
for righteousness. Lord, we're just grateful that you came to be with us, that you came to be among us, that you have thrown open the door and you have opened your arms to welcome us into relationship with you. God, help us to take full advantage of that and not merely check in with you, but make ourselves at home with you, to walk with you, to follow you. We pray these things in your name.